Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. And guys, this week we have a very special guest, a dear friend of ours, uh, Justin Peters. Justin, it's good to have you again with us, brother. Brothers, it's good to be with y'all too. It sure is. Thank you for the invitation. I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. Well, we've got a very interesting topic today. So I, I know that uh, people see that you're you know, on the show today. And so a lot of folks are going to imagine we're going to talk about Pentecostalism or uh, charismatic stuff, um, but not quite, uh, sort of in the same genre. But I thought really what we kind of talk about today is um, something that we really see a lot in, or at least I have seen a lot in our own circles. And and that's kind of this idea of, of reading the signs. Um, well, what do I mean by that, right? Like, uh, is God must be leading me to do this thing or that thing because of X, Y, and Z. Is that something you yourself have noticed in the more kind of reformed Calvinistic circles? Is it something that we are completely sheltered from? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Nathaniel. Uh, no, we're not completely sheltered from it. I, I'd say it was, it's certainly less prevalent in our theological circles than, say, you know, Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland or, or one of those guys. Uh, it, it's less prevalent, but it's, but it's still there. And um, a, a lot of us in these reform circles, we come from um, not all, but a lot of us come from Baptist backgrounds. I myself, uh, Southern Baptist, and uh, I, as a Southern Baptist, which is at least theoretically non-charismatic, I heard this kind of lingo growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God spoke to me. God told me this. God told me that. Or uh, uh, God gave me a sign. And I, I just thought that that was normal Christian life, you know, that we should be looking for signs or if something kind of unusual happens. Uh, that's a that's God trying to speak to us. And that that's a sign. And in fact, I remember <laughs> I'll tell on myself the reason that I attended Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, as opposed to one of the other seminaries, I was considering New Orleans as well. But um and I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe you. I'm even telling this because I. Uh, but anyway, I was New Orleans was closer to where I lived at the time in Vicksburg, Mississippi. New Orleans would have been a shorter drive for me. Um, but I was <laughs> I was driving my van one day and this song came up. I think it was I think it was Michael W. Smith. But anyway, there's a line in the song. Maybe it's a title. I don't even remember. But it's called Go West, Young Man. Go West, young man. I heard that on the radio and I thought, oh, oh, that's that's a sign. I'm supposed to go west to Fort Worth. <laughs> and so literally, okay. that's how I ended up at Fort Worth, uh, Texas, going to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I, that was my deciding factor. Okay. I saw on the radio. Oh. <clears throat> now, you know, I'm I'm feeling much better now. I don't <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't read into those kind of things uh, like I used to, of course, at the time. I wouldn't even convert it. But, um, but yeah, we do still have some of these charismatic uh, hangovers, if you will, even within some of our tight theological circles in the reform camp. I, I, I hear this from time to time. 
So, um, you know, well, such and such happened. So that must be, you know, that's really God directing me to, you know, do whatever. And, um, and, and so even some of us in our camp, we tend to spiritualize and, and um, mysticize some, some things in our lives. So, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking about in, in preparing for this episode, I thought, you know, probably maybe now more than other times in the past, um, guys in our theological circles may be a little more susceptible to this kind of thing because, I mean, it feels like the world's falling apart. Lots of people are looking to move, right? Uh, states right. for various reasons, looking for new jobs or having to worry about that. And, um, you know, and, and the question comes up, I, I think, for a lot of folks, well, what, what's God's will for my life? Do we stay here? Uh, do we suffer through, you know, whatever's going on in our state or in our country, you know, folks trying to get out of Canada and other places? Um, right. and, and, and I think now is a good time to point people towards um, the, the truth and not looking for signs or reading signs, but uh, to live in accordance with the way the Word of God, you know, calls us to live. Um, and so, I, I think it's a very good topic for, you know, especially our current, you know, what's going on in society currently. But let, so, let me ask you this, brother, what are some of the ways that we might find ourselves, you know, in our camp reading signs? And I'll just throw one out there that I hear a lot is, um, well, I, I just have peace about it. And then that becomes a sign that mm -hmm. if, if I'm okay with it, then it must be God, right? Because God's not going to call me to do anything that, uh, you know, is upsetting or difficult or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. This is one of those things. It's kind of some of the evangelical lingo that, that we use a lot, but uh, really we, there is scant biblical support for this kind of thing. You know, you don't find anywhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament about, uh, oh, I decided to do such and such because I had a piece about it, mm. or I didn't do this because I didn't have a piece about it. Uh, that's that's not a biblical concept. Uh, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ by virtue of the fact that he has atoned for our sins and granted us a new life in Christ, made us alive in Christ, the, the new birth. That is the peace that that the Bible speaks of as it, as it relates to our relationship with God is the new birth being adopted into his family. But as far as using some kind of subjective piece about trying to discern God's will, um, you won't find that in scripture. You, you won't find that anywhere in scripture. Uh, it, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a modern construct. It's uh, something that was kind of developed through, are developed in the charismatic church, um, adopted by Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God. And it has just worked its way into the vernacular of mm. at least theoretically non-charismatic churches, non-charismatic evangelical churches. But uh, you won't find... You won't find any support for it in Scripture. And in fact, when you when you look through the you read the book of Acts, I mean, what do we have in the book of Acts? We have the birth of the church, right? We have the birth of the church. We have the spread of the gospel through Paul's missionary journeys, the, the apostles planting churches, growing them, the gospel spreading like wildfire and and even in the even in the book of Acts, you don't see any of the apostles 
asking God to show them his specific will for their lives. Lord, show me what you want me to do today. Show me, you know, uh, show me your specific individual will for my life. You don't see that in the New Testament. You just see the, the, the apostles doing stuff. Like um, Paul said, we spent the winter at Nicopolis because we thought it best. Mm. Why did he spend the winter at Nicopolis? Because God gave him a sign, because God spoke to him. Uh, I want you to spend the No, and they decided to spend the winter at Nicopolis because they thought it was the best thing to do, and so they did it. And so you just see the disciples, the apostles, doing stuff. Um, now, on occasion, you do see God sovereignly redirecting, you know, what they had initially planned to do. Um, but uh, th- this whole, I've got to, I've got to know God's individual specific will for my life, you know, and I've got to put out a fleece and look for a sign to do such and such. That's uh, that's something that you just will not find anywhere in, in the Bible. It's a completely modern construct, something that we have imported into the text. It just is not there. Yeah, I think of I think of Paul when he went to Philippi. He ends up traveling to Troas, but he was cut off from a couple of areas. He tried to go into Asia and then Bithynia, and in each That's case, right. the the Lord just basically prevented him from doing what was actually good, which was to try to spread the gospel in that area. But it wasn't his time, and it wasn't until he got all the way to Troas that he actually sees a vision saying, "You need to go to Macedonia." Um, so throughout that journey, and that would have been from the last church that he had visited to that point that he got to Troas. That's over 300 miles on foot that that he was walking without a clear sign from God exactly where they were leading him to. That's exactly right. The exact point that I was making. Absolutely. And then yeah. I, I would point out one more thing because you you brought up a good good point. I like how you said um, we're never <laughs> we're never told we're going to have peace uh, for uh, in terms of trying to discern God's will. Um, the well, I think of Philippians. Philippians said, "Do not be anxious for anything, but by peace, by prayer and supplication, make your uh, supplications known to God, and then the peace of God will guard your heart." Right? Um, but in that case, we're talking about a prayer against anxiety. We're talking about a prayer to trust in God's sovereign will, no matter what it is He brings into your life. It's not one of these um, trying to figure out decision A versus decision B. Um, trying to figure out if God is leading you here versus there. It's really just trusting God in his sovereignty, which is very much a different kind of message than what a lot of people use it for. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think when we go to the place where we're talking about having peace about something like, you know, it's, oh, I just, I feel really good about this. I have peace about it. I I just kind of want to point people back to Paul when he talks about all of the trials and tribulations he has. And I just want to ask if you think he had peace while he was shipwrecked, while he was getting stoned, while he was, you know, I mean, he he goes through this entire um, just array of horrific circumstances. He was cold. He was hungry. He was beaten. He was, you know, over and over. I'm not sure that he ever had any kind of inner peace while those things were <laughs> happening, right? Um, I, I, I mean, yeah. he, he gets stoned. They, they, he barely makes it alive into the city. And what I don't find in scripture is him saying, okay, um, it, you know, Lord, is it okay for me to go back in? Oh, I'll have a piece about this. And then he goes right back in to the same place where he just gets stoned, right? It, we don't find a right. peace as it were there. Um, you, you know, right. but it, and then you can go to places like Romans 5, where they're talking about 
uh, trials and tribulations in 5.3, it says, and not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, and so forth and so on. There's nothing about peace in that. That's about embracing suffering, right? And we're, we're told that that's yeah. going to come. Uh, so, this idea of I'm not even sure where this idea of having peace about it really came from, but it's not a godly way to look at our circumstances. No, it's not. It's not at all. Uh, And I think a lot of this, again, comes from Henry Blackaby experiencing God, and we've just kind of accepted it as as truth, but it's not. But you're exactly right, Nathaniel. um, when you read through 2 Corinthians 11, and you, uh, beginning in verse 23 there, 23 through 28, you see this long list of just terrible, horrific things that Paul went through. Dangers in uh, rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, you know, dangers in the city, dangers, you know, on and on and on. And um beaten beaten with rods, you know, and if we were to put our kind of modern um, having the peace of God grid on that, then we would say, oh, gosh, well, the Apostle Paul must have been outside of God's will because there's nothing peaceful about, about that, about what he went through. And yet that's exactly what God wanted him to go through. Um, you know, Philippians 1, 29, for to you it has been granted yeah. not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Suffering is a privilege granted to us, just as our faith is granted to us, suffering is granted to us. It is something that we do for the glory of God. It's not enjoyable. Um, There's nothing enjoyable about suffering, and no doubt Paul was not enjoying uh, what he went through. He didn't enjoy getting beaten with rods. He He didn't enjoy those things, but we can have joy through them. Uh, because we know that even in our suffering, and oftentimes, especially in our suffering, it is it is through that that God is most glorified in us, and it's a privilege to be able to suffer for the glory of Christ. But that yeah, is. I, uh, <clears throat> go ahead, Aki. No, and I, I I love that verse for Philippians one twenty nine. The word granted that's my comes from the same word that we get the word grace from. So it has been granted, it has been given to you by grace that you not only believe, but suffer for his sake. And then later in that letter of Philippians, he says, I've learned the secret to contentment. And that leads to the verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's the idea that he can find contentment, whether he has little or he has much. And it's not that God's going to give him the strength to do whatever he wants to do, but he's going to give him the strength to do whatever God wants him to do. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of this kind of um, is embedded in the Western culture, the Western Christian culture of, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of the prosperity gospel-esque kind of thing. If it's not fun, if it's not good, if it's not rich, if it's not wealth, if it's not, if it doesn't make me feel good, then it's probably not of God, right? And and it's, I think our culture is so inundated with that because that's the worldly sense, right? Everything is about me. And, um, you know, if my life is going the way I want it to go, the prosperity gospel is just that very same thing with Christian Christian words put on top of it. So, it's also very worldly and we're inundated uh, even the healthy church with this stuff all the time. And I think naturally it kind of creeps in, in, in maybe more subtle ways, uh, like this kind of thing of having peace. It's sort of just a nicer way of saying, uh, you know, if 
if it was God, then it would obviously be nice for me. Um, you know, my life would be all that it's meant to be. Well, now we're in Kenneth Copeland territory, but we just wouldn't say it that way. That's right. Um, it, it, yep. It's a lot more dangerous. I, I think it's more dangerous in, in the healthy part of, of the church because it comes in more subtly and it sounds good, right? I mean, God, you know, J- Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We want peace. Peace is good. Um, but when we apply it in that way, it, it just, you know, it's not biblical at all. Yeah. yeah how the, much the difference how, between. Oh, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I, I just would just add on top. How much of a secular influence do you think there is too, in terms of maybe psychology and, 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 and that kind of thinking? Because I, I hear even non-Christians speak in this way too. Do you think that has played a major role in this? I do. Actually, I, I do. I, I think there is so much psychology that has um, that has infiltrated the evangelical church and our, our way of thinking. Absolutely. Because uh, you'll go to a psychologist and not that I've ever been to one, but uh you know, I've seen a few TV shows, I guess, but, you know, they'll ask you, well, well how are, what are your feelings, you know, and what, what makes you sad and that kind of stuff. And, and if it makes you sad, then it's not good or, you know, it's uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very much a psychologized way of, of looking at, at the Christian life. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. There's a tremendous amount of pop psychology that has, that has infiltrated the evangelical, whatever that word means anymore, but the evangelical world. And we have adopted it almost um, uncritically. So, and if it makes me sad or if it makes, you know, if it, if it's not, um, if it's not enjoyable, then it's something that I should avoid. It's a very secular way of looking at the Christian life. Now, that being said, we should not uh, go out looking for suffering, you know, and I think some people, there's kind of a false humility to be had even in that. Um, they'll, if they go through some kind of a trial or uh, that some people almost seem to kind of look for some kind of suffering and then they'll post it all over social media. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a, almost kind of like a martyr complex and they want to bring attention to themselves. You know, look how much I suffer and, Oh, I'm just trusting the Lord, but you know, it's I'm, you know, suffer. Look at me. There's, I've seen a lot of that on social media, and it's it's really off-putting. Um, you don't have to go looking for suffering. You don't have to go looking for persecution. You don't have to look for it. It will find you. Um, but when it does, don't just say don't make a don't make a show of it. Don't make a show of it. And social media has become a breeding ground for that. So uh, I think there's a real danger in that as well, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. I think First Peter 2.20 says, for what credit is it when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if, if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you know, you, and you patiently endure, then God finds favor with it. And so it's that very thing that yeah. you're talking about. That's true. We, we get, there's a ditch on both ends of almost everything, right? Yeah. Uh, that we can fall into. Or what are some other ways, brother, that you feel like this kind of thing has maybe crept into, you know, what I would call the healthier part of the church, or maybe what are some good ways that we can uh, just kind of be on guard from this kind of thing, lest we get caught up in really a religion of feelings, because that's what it is, right? I- anytime we're looking to mm-hmm. some kind of um, outward circumstance, we become 
you know, the absolute judge of what's true and what's not, because we're the ones, you know, reading the tea leaves, as it were. Um, and then it always comes down to how you feel, right? Um, uh, it, it, you know, oh, it, yes, there's been this radio song that's come on for it, not to pick on you, brother, uh, to, <laughs> to go out west, you, you know, and it's come on 15 times in the last month. Um <laughs> You know, there, there's some good things about the West uh, if you skip California. Um, it, it, you know, so that's a good idea. Yeah, I'm feeling it. And you can work yourself up, right, in into these feel kind of this euphoric feeling to where you get to the stage where you're like, okay, yeah, I think God's in this. But really, you've just worked yourself up into an emotional frenzy um, or, or it's an idea that you have liked anyway. Uh, how, how can we guard ourselves against getting to that place? Yeah, I'd say just don't over spiritualize things. Um, you know, don't don't read too much into uh, you know something that might happen that maybe a little bit is a little bit unusual. And even as I'm talking, one of the examples of this that comes to my mind: Bill Hybels wrote a book entitled um, "The Power of a Whisper," and mm-hmm. in his book he talks about how at one point he was needing some direction from God for his church. Now, Bill Hybels has morally disqualified himself from being a pastor. He was never qualified in the first place, but now he's actually disqualified. But at any rate, he writes in this book about how the season at uh, Willow Creek Church, he needed some direction from God. And so he went out on his boat to spend a day on the lake. And um, and he was expecting to hear God speak to him out on the lake because apparently that's where God tended to talk to him. So he went out on the lake and uh, he was there for an hour, didn't hear anything from God, there for another hour, second hour, nothing from God. And then the third hour, he said he was just about getting ready to uh, pull up the uh, his fishing stuff and, you know, crank up the motor and go back to the bank. Um, he said a Bud Light beer can floated by his boat. And he, he said, and it, I've almost got this memorized because I use it in my, in my seminar, but he said, I stood there staring at the can, wondering, is this a message from God? If so, what can it be? You know, said, am I supposed to tell my people to drink Bud Light? Am I supposed to tell my people not to drink Bud Light? And then he said, is there a message inside the can? So he thought that God was trying to get some message to him through a Bud Light beer can floating by his bass boat or whatever he was on. You know, and that is a terror. What is what exactly is the hermeneutical grid for beer cans? I don't know. I mean, the, the Bible offers us no help in that. You know, how are we supposed to what is the how are we supposed to exegete beer cans? Or if something just a little bit unusual, you know, something just a little odd and you think that's God trying to get a message to you. No, that's not. Don't look at life like that. That's not the way to live the Christian life. For one thing, you'll drive yourself stark raving mad trying to mm-hmm. trying to interpret all this stuff. It's just it's just don't. That's not how we're supposed to to live the Christian life. Um, don't try to put out fleeces. You know, I hear people say this. Oh, uh, well, I've got a, a choice between you know, for example job A or job B. And I don't know which one God wants me to take. I could take this job or I could take this other job. And so we put out a fleece or something like that. You know, Lord, if you want me to take this job, um, 
Let me see. In fact, um, Charles Stanley, I heard him in one of his sermons. He was talking about how when he was a young man, he was trying to determine God's will for doing something. I don't remember what it was, but he said, Lord, if you want me to do such and such, let me see two shooting stars tonight. And so he was out walking and sure enough, he saw two shooting stars. And so he thought that was God speaking to him, telling him to, yes, I do indeed want you to do such and such. Um, that is not the way we are to live the Christian life. Um, that is a modern day version of putting out a fleece, you know, Gideon's fleece. Uh, but Gideon putting out his fleece is not something that we should be emulating. In fact, God had already given him instructions twice hmm. before he ever put the fleece out. And Gideon putting the fleece out was an act of disobedience. It was an act of, uh, of, 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 of not obeying what God had already clearly told him. So I wouldn't, I'd be really reluctant before I use Gideon's fleece as, as something that we should be doing today. That was not a good thing that Gideon did. Um, one of the problems that people make in interpreting scripture, they think that they fall into this trap of everything that is described in the Bible is prescribed in the Bible. And that's just not true. Uh, one of the traps that a lot of people fall into is they think that everything that is described in the Bible is also prescribed in the Bible, like Gideon's fleece. Well, that's described, so that's something I that is prescribed for me to do today. And that's just not true. There's a lot of things that are described that are never prescribed, uh, not supposed to be prescribed. Um, the, the Bible describes a talking donkey, but I haven't seen any talking donkeys lately, and I hope nobody watching us has either. Because if you have, you probably need to be <laughs> probably need to lay off the suds a little bit. Because so there's lots of things that are described that are not prescribed. That's one of the it's one of the traps that people fall into. Is there also an issue where maybe people are not understanding that we have a certain freedom in Christ with a lot of our decisions? Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are biblical principles that we want to use to, to guide us, but people think that there must be a direction as if if we choose the wrong choice, then God's going to punish us somehow. Um, but that, that sure. really kind of takes away, I think, the takes away the shine from the sufficiency of Scripture, because now it's not just what Scripture says, but it's also this kind of mystical will that, that we're trying to figure out exactly whether we should go left or go right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I can, that's exactly right. It does, it does uh, take away from that. And, uh, we do have freedom in Christ to make decisions. You know, let's say, let's come back to the example of, of a job, someone, a, a, a Christian who is genuinely trying to follow the Lord and, and a, a live a life of obedience, he's got a choice between two jobs and he doesn't know which one to take and which one is God's will. Is it a job A or job B? And he's worried if he chooses job B, when God really wanted him to choose job A, then everything's just going to fall apart. No, no, that's not the way to live the Christian life. Um, if you have a decision to make some big decision and you're not sure of what decision that you need to make, don't try to discern God's will and figure out the tea leaves, read the tea leaves. That's kind of a Christianized version of, of um, you know, mysticism and, and even kind of uh, some paganism, honestly. Don't do any of that stuff. Read, study, and obey God's word. Pray for wisdom. James, the book of James tells us that if any of you likes wisdom, let him ask of God. Pray for wisdom. 
and uh, seek godly counsel. The book of Proverbs says there's wisdom or there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Seek some godly counsel. And I do that in my own life. I, if something comes up in the ministry and I've got to make a decision, I don't really know what to do. Um, I will seek godly counsel. The first person I'm going to talk to is my wife, Kathy. But if after talking to her, we both decide, yeah, we need some other another pair of eyes on this and some input, then I've got some men in my life that I go to. And I'll say, brothers, this, this is what I'm faced with. What's your counsel to me? That has served me well in, in a number of points in my life, in my ministry. So read, study, and obey God's word, pray for wisdom, seek godly counsel, and then um, follow Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Not he might, not he may direct your paths, not he'll, he'll direct your paths if he's got nothing better to do. He will direct your paths. And so just look at the opportunities that you have before you. Pray for wisdom. Seek some, seek some advice. Seek some counsel. And then make a decision. Do, do whatever you want to do. You know, whichever job you think will fit better for you, do that. Um, so, you know, maybe it's an, an issue of, well, if I take job A, I'm, uh, I'm not sure I've got a good church in that town. But if I take job B, I know there's a good church in, in where job B is. Well, then take job B. Yeah. You know, so, you know, take job B. Don't take job A if you don't know that you have a good church. Go where there's a good church. So, um you know, just some common sense, things like that. Just make a wise decision and do whatever you want to do. God will direct your paths. Um, he, you know, I tell people often, he spoke the universe into existence. I think he can direct our paths. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, verse 3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. That means, uh, to kind of paraphrase R.C. Sproul, you know, there's not there's not a single renegade molecule anywhere in the universe. Everything in the universe, you can go to some far flung galaxy out there on some distant spiral arm of some far flung galaxy, find one star out there, drill down into the middle of that star, find one little atom of hydrogen, and and that little atom of hydrogen is being held in its proper place right now by the active exertion of God's power. That is an awesome thought. Hmm. That is an awesome yeah. thought. And so we don't have to worry, oh, if I choose this when I should have chosen that, then my life is just going to collapse and everything fall apart like a house of cards. It's not going to happen. You know, you know what, what I hear you describing, it's very rational. It's also very spiritually based. How would you, for the hearer that may be confused, how would you distinguish um, the kind of counsel that you just gave, which I think is very wise counsel, from mysticism uh, how would you describe mysticism maybe for the uh, someone who's listening to this and they're a little bit confused about what's the difference between what you're saying versus mysticism yeah um thank you Eki. yeah i think what i just described i think is the biblical way to make decisions it's uh, uh mysticism would be trying to read something read a message from god into something that is not at all a message from God, or, or maybe I should rephrase it, uh, seeing something, something unusual, or uh, hearing something on the radio, or, you know, having, I don't know, this thought in your head to take a right turn instead of a left turn or something, and, and thinking that that is somehow God trying to talk to you. 
you're spiritualizing things. You're you're yeah. that's that's mysticism, trying to trying to discern God's activity in something that just has nothing to do with God trying to, to speak to you. You're you're over spiritualizing things. You're overthinking it. You're over. You're reading far more into it than what is what is actually there, and that's gonna. That's going to steer you wrong every time. That's just not the way to make decisions. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about these signs, and I'm just thinking back over the the last two years of some examples that I've heard. And um, it, one of the more uh, charismatic ones, we wouldn't hear this in our circles so much, but uh, was that there was some, I don't even remember who it was, but one of the teachers in in that in the charismatic circles was talking about how they were praying about, you know, uh, the future of America and, you know, is God going to redeem it and all this kind of thing. We, we hear this sort of stuff a lot, especially around, you know, uh, elections and things. And they, they talked about how they saw this eagle fly up on a tree branch somewhere where they were. And, you know, instantly yeah. the, the spirit of God spoke to their spirit. And, you know, this eagle was representative of how God was going to re-bless America. Here's what I find entertaining. I live in Alaska. When you go to the dump and you turn your face just to the <laughs> left where all the garbage and rotting fish and stuff is dumped, you see eagles everywhere, just face buried in a bunch of garbage. Right. We call them majestic right. dump, dump birds. Nothing, nothing spectacular. They're, <laughs> right. they're like Alaskan buzzards. They're, they're everywhere, right? Um, it's just a good example yeah, of yeah. something that is just totally not spiritual at all, made into something that is not. Right. No, I, I love eagles. They're, they really are majestic birds. But they're a dime a dozen here, right? You see them everywhere. There's no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that if an eagle perched on your, you know, a tree in your front yard here where I live, because they're just everywhere. Right. And, and and yeah, Yeah, and and I think in, in the healthier parts of the church, really, and, and you guys are both touched on this, really, it comes back to, and eventually it touches a lack of understanding of the sovereignty of God, right? We don't. You know, sometimes we, I don't want to say we don't know, but we forget what sovereignty means. And sovereignty means that whether I pick job A or I pick job B, if I'm living my life best I can in accordance with scripture, if I'm doing the things that you mentioned, Justin, uh, seeking wise counsel, making decisions based on what's good and godly and wholesome, um, then I'm going to end up exactly where God wants me. And I don't have to know why. He wants me there or for what reason I'm there. I'm, I just have to trust that scriptures, as you said, that he's going to lead our path. And when we make these good godly decisions, we just choose, you know, the, the best that we can, given what God's given us. And we just trust in his sovereignty. And when we stress over, you know, what brand of orange juice that we're supposed to buy, uh, effectively in that moment, and you're denying the sovereignty of God, I don't think we think about that. Um, but that's the implication is that we, you know, we make God in that moment, not sovereign. Um, and, right. and we almost usurp that place because the idea is I have to get this right or everything's going to be messed up. Well, mm-hmm. you just kind of put yourself in the place of God, uh, not intentionally, yep. uh, but, but it's happened anyway. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. 
Yeah. And again, there's just no biblical support for any of this kind of stuff. This is, I say again, it's a modern construct. It's something that has worked its way into the evangelical lingo, but it has absolutely zero biblical support. And again, I refer people to the book of Acts. Now, we're not even in the apostolic age anymore. The apostles are gone. The canon of scripture is closed. God is not speaking to people in a direct quotable sense outside of scripture anymore. He's not doing that. He was doing it in the days of Acts and the early days of the church. Uh, he was doing it then. But even then, you don't see the apostles putting out fleeces or asking God for to reveal his specific individual will for their lives. You don't see that. They just did stuff. And so if they didn't do it in the apostolic age, why in the world do you think we should be doing it now? It, it doesn't make any sense. It's, a, it's an attack on the sufficiency of Scripture, that Scripture is not enough. And that's where the real battle is being fought today in the evangelical world, not so much over inerrancy, but over sufficiency. Is the word of God sufficient? And inerrancy, I mean, it's, it's still, those battles are still there, but at least theoretically, um, those battles have, have been won in our circles. Um, but the battle today is over sufficiency. Is the word of God sufficient? And if you if you think you've got to hear God speak to you in a still small voice, or you've got to put out a fleece and do all this, or you know, think God's trying to talk to you through a Bud Light beer can floating by your bass boat, then the then the word of God is not sufficient. You you can't have your cake and eat it too. So um, that's really what's at stake is the sufficiency of Scripture. You know, and, and, most and evangelicals bring, have abandoned it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, just just thinking about the apostolic age that you mentioned both in the apostolic age, as well as the days of our Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. I'm preaching through the book of John now, and obviously there's a lot of signs being brought forth. But when we think sure. about these signs that Jesus Christ performed, as well as the signs that the apostles um, performed, I would even argue that the nature of those signs is different than what we're trying to make signs out to be today. Uh, would mm -hmm. you agree with that and, and maybe care to elaborate on that? Yeah, I, I would. Absolutely. I would. Absolutely. Uh, the, the signs that we read about in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, they were they were all designed to make a statement about who God is, who Christ is, what his mission was about, primarily that of of offering forgiveness for the sins of his people, uh, affirming his deity, not giving individual specific direction for somebody to have a more comfortable life. That is a, a real trivialization of what signs and wonders were purposed to do. Uh, the original purpose was to point to Christ, his person, his deity, uh, not just so you can know what job you ought to take or take a right turn instead of a left turn or something like it. It's a real trivialization of, of signs. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I would even add on top of that, too, when we think about <clears throat> the signs that Jesus Christ performed in the Gospels, the signs were not divorced from Scripture. Um, the signs right. were actually, actually meant to fulfill what Scripture had said he would do. Yep, that's right. Yep, they were fulfillment of Messianic prophecies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and then Jesus would say, you search the Scriptures thinking in them you have eternal life, but it's, it is these that testify about me. And then I think about the Great Commission, what does Jesus tell us? He obviously make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, but also teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And nowhere that I can think of in scripture does Jesus command us to look for signs. Yeah, no, absolutely not. In fact, he says it's an evil and perverse generation that, that seeks after a sign. We, we should not be seeking after signs. And yet we, the, whole, the whole charismatic world out there, that's their focus. Charismatics are not known for expositing scripture. They're not known for sound doctrine. They're known for expositing their dreams and visions that they claim to get. They're known for, you know, looking for signs and Bud Light beer cans and things like that. They're not known for sound doctrine. They're not known for exposition. Their, their, their entire focus is on the miraculous, quote unquote, signs and wonders and angel feathers and gold dust and healing and all that kind of stuff. And that's exactly what we're not supposed to focus on. The Holy Spirit does not point to signs and wonders. He does not point to himself. He points us to Christ. And uh, it's, it's a real irony that charismatics who claim to have such a high view of the Holy Spirit, and they would look at people like us here, uh, the three of us here as cessationists, and they would say, oh, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. To the contrary, my view of the Holy Spirit is so high uh, my confidence in his power is so strong that I do not believe that someone can be indwelt by him and teach the heresies that these people teach and demean him in the way in which they demean him. Uh, it, is, it is the word of faith, New Apostolic Reformation, that's those guys that have a very small, very diminished, very low view of the Holy Spirit because they are constantly attributing to him things that he is not doing. It is they who have the low view of the Holy Spirit, not us. And, and at what point would you call it a false gospel? Because many of these, or some may argue that they're giving the true gospel, um, that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for your sins and give you forgiveness of sins. And at what point um, do you think that some of these word of faith preachers or people who are charismatic uh, may cross the boundaries and then get into a heretical gospel versus those who may just be misinformed about the spiritual gifts, but are still proclaiming a true gospel. How, how would you discern that? Yeah, that's a great question. Aki. I would say um, a couple things. I'm, I would not say that all charismatics are lost. I don't, I don't believe that. Um, there's a difference though, between a charismatic, like a Wayne Grudem or a Sam Storms. Yeah as opposed to a Benny Hinn or a Kenneth Copeland. Uh, I would say, look at the content, look at what they're, look at what this particular church is known for. The particular ministry is known for. Um, even though I enthusiastically disagree with Wayne Grudem and Sam Storms on their charismatic position, uh, they're still known for preaching the right gospel. Uh, preaching sound doctrine. They're still known for that. Is Benny Hinn known for that? No. Kenneth Copeland? No. Beth, uh, Bill Johnson out at Bethel? No. Will they have some elements of the gospel from time to time? Yes, of course. From time to time, you'll hear about Jesus died for your sins, or, you know, you need to... Um, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, something like that. From time to time, you'll hear that, but it's not the mainstay. It's kind of like, uh, 
you know, they, they like throwing a dog a bone. You just you kind of get it in there just to pass a basic kind of a, you know, doctrinal smell test just to say, OK, yeah, we talk about this, you know, because, you know, it, it's there. Yeah, you can go back and you can find a clip somewhere where it's, it's there, but it's not the focus. It's not the mainstay. Um, in fact, I'm working on a video on Bethel. Give you an idea. Uh, I have this service from Bethel Church in Redding, California, Bill Johnson, and they're doing a baptismal service. And they have about 30 people up there that they're about to baptize. And one of their staff members, and I can't recall his name, it's not, it wasn't Bill, but one of their other staff members had a microphone and he went up to each person and the, each person is standing there holding a towel because they're about to get dunked. And he asked them two questions. This, he asked each person, what is your name and why are you getting baptized? And so I just watched this service and I took notes on all 32 or so of these, not a single one, not a single one of the 32 had anything even remotely resembling a credible testimony of conversion. Hmm. Not one of them did. In fact, one lady uh, we said, what's your name and why are you getting baptized here tonight? She gave her name. I don't remember what it was, but she literally said, I kid you not. I, I'm not exaggerating. She said, I want to get baptized because I want to be a warrior for the animal kingdom. She literally said that. I want to see I want to lead an army of angels and be a warrior for the animal kingdom. And then the staff member at Bethel holding the microphone. Oh, that's great. That's great. And they baptized her because she wants to be a warrior for the animal kingdom. Give that I lady mean, a Gandalf staff. Goodness. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> See, that's the. So, yeah, they, they might have some lingo here and there. You know, oh, yeah, we believe Jesus died from the cross for save us for our sin. But that's not the focus. That's not that's not what they're known for. They're known for their emphasis on signs and wonders and angel feathers and gold dust and dreams and visions yeah. and health and wealth. John yeah. MacArthur's church is not known for that stuff. So, yeah. yeah so, I, so even, even though they might throw it in there, it's uh, when you get into word of faith in AR, that, that constitutes a different gospel. Different That's a good, Jesus. That's a good point, brother. And, you know, so we're listening to some of these more outlandish things. And it, just to kind of tie it back into our conversation, I think it can be very easy for us in our circles to think that we, we really are completely shielded, right? I mean, some guys that are hearing this are thinking like, what in the world fighting for animal kingdom? What is going on? I mean, it, it, folks don't even know how crazy that world gets. Um, and, and so we can very easily, I think, uh, just kind of put down our guard uh, so that when more subtle things like what we've been talking about creeps in, we, we just aren't aware of it, you know, kind of reading the signs. The charismatic church is full of reading signs. It's everywhere, all over, okay. all the time. And it gets super crazy and weird. Um, and, and then, but that doesn't really creep into, you know, our circles as much. It comes through these subtle things we've been talking about. And I, I just wanted to bring up a verse because all of this, uh, you know, comes down to, you know, people, I think oftentimes genuinely asking the question, well, what's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God? Mm -hmm. You know, great question to ask. It, it's an honest question. It's something everyone asks, I think, at some stage in their Christian walk. It's fine. Um, but it, what's interesting is that 
we have scripture that specifically says this is the will of God for you uh, yeah. that we overlook. Let me just read one of those. There's a couple, right? First uh, Thessalonians 4, 2 through 4. Listen, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And it goes on. So if you're wondering what God's will is for your life, it's not whether you buy the orange juice with pulp or no pulp uh, or, you know, whether you uh, move to Texas or Alaska or Tennessee. The will of God for your life is that you be sanctified, that you become like Christ. Um, and yep. so make, just like Justin said, make whatever decision you want to make and use the things that the tools that scripture has given us wise counsel of other godly men, um, your brain, you know, God gave us a brain. We should use it. Um, yep. and, and I think one thing is for certain, uh, oftentimes, at least this has been my experience and it'd be interesting to see if you guys have had similar experience here. Uh, I, I typically find that folks that get the most caught up and worried of this kind of thing are oftentimes folks who spend the least amount of time in scripture anyway. They don't have a regular habit of being in the word, of prayer, of being very involved in their church. Um, not that they're not believers, uh, but they haven't really given themselves to the preaching and teaching of the word the way they should. Uh, that That's often been what I've found when we find people that really get worried about this kind of thing yeah, yeah I've, I, I I've, I've seen the exact same thing and and justin maybe um if you can provide some clarification here also because you mentioned something about how we're often accused of maybe not being spirit-filled or spirit-led or, or not trusting in the spirit or, or really honoring the spirit what what is the difference between how they're portraying being spirit-filled or spirit-led versus what the scriptures say yeah, fantastic question, Nikki. So the charismatics would say, oh, you're spirit-filled if you speak in tongues. That's one of the sure evidences of, of your being spirit-filled. You speak in tongues. Uh, so you speak in tongues, you get dreams, you get visions, uh, gold dust, or you know, something like that. It's it's all always they always think of being spirit-filled in dramatic, spectacular terms. You know, these things that you can see. But that's not how the Bible describes being spirit-filled. We are to be, in fact, Paul says in Colossians 3, right? Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Hmm. I would submit that the, the content, you know, when Paul said in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not something that we have to do like on a on a daily basis, like when you go, in other words, like you go to bed at night and you're filled with the spirit, but somehow over the hours that you sleep, you wake up and you're a court low. Somehow he kind of oozes out of your pores and you, you're a court low and you, you know, okay, Lord, I need some more Holy Spirit and I need some more spirit in me. No, that's not the idea. I would submit that the the Holy Spirit is not the content of our feeling when when a person gets saved they get all of the holy spirit Hmm. they get the spirit without measure when we are saved we are we are baptized by the holy spirit into the body of christ we have all the holy spirit at our conversion that we're ever going to have you know we're not going to get more of him 
So we're completely filled, if you will, uh, with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. The agent of our filling, the agent is the Holy Spirit. The content is the word of Christ. The content is the scriptures. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. It is the Holy Spirit who illumines the meaning of God's word. When we read and study God's word, the Holy Spirit illumines the meaning of it, and he helps us to understand it, and he enables us to obey the scriptures. The scriptures, the word of Christ that dwells richly within us is the content of the filling, and the Holy Spirit is the one who who enables that and facilitates that. So uh, being filled with the Spirit is not this mystical weird stuff, you know, speaking in tongues and angel feathers and all that kind of stuff. Being filled with the spirit is having the word of Christ, the word of God dwell richly within you and you obey it. That's it. You obey the word of God. That's being spirit filled and spirit led, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Spirit led. We've got the fruit of the spirit, Galatians five, that tells us what the fruit is. And uh, just the two verses that you're paralleling. One is uh, Ephesians 518 to be filled with, or I agree with you, by the Spirit. I, I do yeah. agree that it's probably better rendered as by the Spirit. And then Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. And both of them lead to the same results. It's good at human uh, relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, master and slave. Um, and it talks about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. None of it, as you mentioned, being these kinds of crazy spiritual gifts. And the other thing I would add, too, is that the Holy Spirit provides us with the scriptures. He not only illumines us to the scriptures, but it it was his ministry all throughout the history of redemption of mankind that he provides us with the scriptures. So he provided us with the scriptures. He illumines our hearts and minds to the scriptures and to be filled with this or by the spirit and to be to to let the word of Christ dwell richly within you basically means to be more and more Christ-like, right? Yeah, that's right be more Christ-like. That's exactly right. It's really a good point that the scriptures are given to us by the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we're talking about being led by the Spirit and what God's will is. I, I find it interesting that, you know, God, through the Holy Spirit, using men to write, saw fit to give us literally in black and white his own words. And we kind of, you know, shove that to the side and are looking for, you know, these kind of supernatural experiences or signs or whatever. Um, and I like to say, well, it, it, you know, until you know all of what God saw fit to give us in writing, why look anywhere else? I mean, if you don't even know what's in your Bible yet, which is the written word of God, no. Um, no. if that, if you don't have a high value for scripture, you know, then what? you're not going to be able to convince me that you have a high value for anything else that, you know, might be out there. Um, yeah. And, and it, you know, you speak to that often, brother. In fact, uh, it, you have to say it for us because it's one of my favorite lines that you say, you know, what do you say to people when they talk about wanting to hear the voice of God? Yeah, if you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> There you go. 100% guarantee you will hear God speak. There it is. There it is. I mean, it, 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 and it really, you know, we say we, we laugh because it, it's kind of funny, but it's so true. And I think it really hits back to what you said is our battle in our generation really comes down to the sufficiency of scripture. Do we yep. believe that the written word of God is 
adequate, adequate in the sense of everything we need for life and practice, or is it not? Yeah. You know, do you believe that God somehow just opted to leave us hanging, to leave us without what we need um, for life and faith? Or do you believe that, you know, God gave us everything that we need as scripture tells right. us, right? Not just whether we say scripture is sufficient, but really whether we believe that, right? And proof that we believe that is living it. Um, I, I think it's become very easy in our day and age to be quick to sign statements. And you think of the statement on social justice and these other things, but then you, you know, you hire people in your seminary that teach contrary to that, or you do things that are contrary to that, but just so that you can say, Oh, but I signed the statement. Right. And I think we see a lot of that today. We, we see a lot of evangelicals that say, Oh yeah, absolutely. I believe in the sufficiency of scripture. Um, but, but their ministry and their life often prove otherwise. And, and then I think, you know, you have uh, the majority of people who there's no deceit there. There's no maliciousness. Um, we just, in our fallen humanity, forget to come back to those truths, right? Uh, we, we just tend to gravitate in one direction, and that's always away from belief and faith and faithfulness. Uh, and so, it's good to be reminded, you know, that Scripture is wholly, wholly sufficient. We don't need anything else. We don't need a sign. We don't need a special revelation. We, we don't get those things anyway. Um, what we need is right in front of us. And so, you know, when you've memorized the entire Bible from Genesis, uh, the first page to the very last of Revelation, then we can talk about extra revelations. Uh, but until that happens, uh, we shouldn't even yep. be hearing about these things, right? But the scripture is sufficient, right? Well, brother, I really appreciate you, Eki, and I appreciate you being on the show with us. Is there anything else you, you want to add just for the folks in our camp who, you know, maybe you've caused them to think a little bit and, and how they've, you know, maybe they've been reaching outside of scripture for these things. Uh, how, how would you encourage those folks? Yeah, just to, to close on that same note, Nathaniel, that uh, what we've been talking about is the sufficiency of scripture. It is everything that we need, everything that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. It is the prophetic word made more sure, as, as the Apostle Peter said. It is everything that we need, everything that we need to uh, diagnose the problem with man, the problem with society. We don't need Resolution 66. We don't need critical race theory. We don't need any of this stuff. We need the scriptures. The word of God is sufficient. It is everything that we need. And uh, so that is just, that is one of the things, probably the primary thing that I champion in my ministry is, is the sufficiency of scripture. Every form of theological mischief that plagues the evangelical world, whether we're talking about word faith, NAR, Bill Johnson, gold feather, you know, angel feathers, gold dust, all that kind of stuff, whether we're talking about that, whether we're talking about social justice, every form of theological mischief, hmm. Roman Catholicism, every form of theological mischief can be boiled down to this basic element, an abandonment of the sufficiency of God's word. Hmm. We've got to return to that. We've got to return to that. So. Amen. Well, thank you, brother. We appreciate that. So guys, stay away from signs. We have the Bible. You don't need Bill Hybels, beer can prophets. We have the sure <laughs> prophecy of scripture. 
Um, so thank you for joining us. We hope that you've been encouraged. Justin, thank you again for joining us, brother. We appreciate you. And brothers, thank you all. Eki, Nathaniel, thank you all so much. I really absolutely. appreciate both of you, brothers. Thank you. All right. And until next time, folks, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.